You're listening to Unbreakable, a sermon series on family, what God intends it to be and how your family can honor God. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. I am so glad that you are joining us today. We're in the, uh, a series that we have titled Unbreakable. Unbreakable, and it's uh, a series on family, specifically how you can bring out the best in your family, because like we said last week, we're all part of a family, and uh, family really is a blessing. It is, uh, but the truth of the matter is everybody in your family, everybody in my family, we are all uh, different. I don't know if you know this about me or not, uh, but I like to deer hunt. I really do. Uh, now, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't killed a deer with a rifle uh, in about four or five years, so I'm kind of depressed about that, uh, but I remember a couple years ago, I was telling my family just how depressed I was about not being able to get a deer or anything like that. And we were driving at night down uh, towards Edwards, uh, Mississippi. And so uh, as we're driving down the road, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm seeing deer everywhere. I can see their, their eyes glowing everywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, great, there they are. You know what I mean? They're having a party at night because I thought they were mythical creatures like unicorns and Bigfoot. You know what I'm saying? I'd never seen them, just don't ever see them in the day. And so I'm driving down the road, and every time they'd see your headlights, you know, they look up like that and they see what's going on. And I have this thought as I see all these deer, I'm thinking, how in the world does anybody ever hit a deer? I mean, you can see them plain as day and no, no sooner than that thought ended, boom, I nailed a deer, man. And I mean, Amanda's in the uh, passenger seat, Brianna's in the back seat and Sadie's in the back seat as well. And Amanda and Brianna, man, they're crying. Oh my goodness, daddy, you killed a deer. You hit a deer. Why would you do that? You know what I'm saying? But Sadie Kate, man, she's different. Again, she's in the back seat and she's like, yay, daddy, you got a deer finally. You've been wanting to get a deer. You did it, daddy. She was so encouraging. You know what I'm saying? I'll never forget that. I got a picture actually of me with the deer. You know how hunters do. You know, they get down. I'm just kidding. I was going to share. I didn't do that. But, but I, I, was so, I was so excited. You know what I'm saying? And, and really, some of the fondest memories that you have, some of the memories that you will never forget, they revolve around your family. They really do. Uh, when family works right, when family works right, you know, there's, it really is the most life-giving, affirmative, and supported system that a person can experience. But when family works wrong, when family doesn't work properly, the opposite is also true. See, there's no hurt really like family hurt. How many of y'all have ever been hurt by somebody in your family? You just really, it's hard to, hard to forget that. There's no deeper wound. And so uh, we really do need to do everything in our power to bring out the best in our family. And so last week, you know what I mean? We talked about Adam and Eve. We started out by talking about marriage, how uh, God's plan for uh, us was a man and a woman. He set it up for a father, I mean, for a, a man to leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife. And we talked about five steps, really, uh, to having a fresh a fresh start in your marriage. And uh, this week, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Genesis by talking about a guy by the name of Noah. How many of y'all ever heard of Noah before? 
couple people. Well, first off, let me tell you, uh, we really have the entire story of Noah all wrong in our mind. When we think about the story of Noah, we tend to think about Noah on the, on the deck of a, the ark, on the deck of a boat with a happy giraffe, you know, stick, sticking up behind him and then a happy lion just purring and then having a good time. Almost like that scene from Titanic with Jack and Rose on the front of the boat. I'm the king of the world. But that's really not how it was. You know what I mean? Noah and them weren't happy. This was not a happy time. Why? Because basically God destroyed the entire world. I assure you they were not smiling. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 8. Check this out. It says, when the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. You need to know today that the evil that you and I commit, the sin that you and I commit, it still grieves the heart of God. And look at verse seven. It says, then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind Mankind who I created. Now, let me stop for just a second because some people don't believe in a universal flood. They don't believe that the entire earth was covered with water. They think it was uh, localized. But what did that verse say? It says that God is going to uh, wipe off from the face of the earth, the whole earth, you know, the entire thing. I mean, that's what God is about to do there. And not just that, but God says he's going to wipe out mankind, mankind. Uh, Who created mankind? God created mankind. And so some people still think that maybe God was just talking about Adam, trying to kill Adam. He's really the only person that God really created, but again, that's not true. Uh, that's not true either. Uh, uh, if you were to really think about it also, uh, I mean, why in the world would God destroy the entire earth just to kill one person? Uh, that would be kind of excessive, don't you think? You know what I mean? It'd be like burning your house down because it was a cockroach in it. You know what I mean? You could do it, uh, but what would you tell your insurance company? Man, that roach got on me. It deserved to die. I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So if God is going to wipe from the face of the earth mankind, what is he talking about? Well, here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Check it out. It says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Again, we need to understand that there was not some other kind of man somewhere else on the earth that God was not responsible for creating. God had created all of mankind, and after 10 generations, 10 generations from Adam to Noah, after 10 generations, the Bible says that every thought of man's mind was evil, and God's heart is grieved. So look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 6. Verse 7 says this, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I have created together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. But look at verse 8. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. If you know this story, you know that Noah survives the flood. Noah was the original designated survivor. Anybody seen that show today? He was the designated survivor. And you know what he did? He saved his family. He very literally kept his family Afloat. Noah kept his family afloat. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of disaster and, and catastrophe and chaos, Noah kept his family from sinking. And wouldn't you be able, wouldn't you like to be able to do the same thing for your family today? To keep them from sinking? 
to keep them from, from drowning. See, you can't escape the harsh reality that the world in which we live, you know, we're gonna have trials, we're gonna have troubles, there's gonna be difficult things that happen. Jesus says in John 16, 33, he said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Many trials and sorrows. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, the truth of the matter is I know something about each person in this room. It doesn't matter who you are, I know something. You are either in a storm right now you just got out of a storm or you are heading for a storm. And I'm not talking about Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Jose. I'm talking about trials and sorrows in your life, storms in your life. And the truth of the matter is these storms that happen in our life are sometimes just as devastating, if not more so, to our lives than a physical, than, than a physical storm. Sometimes they destroy our spirit. Sometimes they destroy our hopes. Sometimes they destroy our plans and our, our dreams. Sometimes the, the storms of life cause us to suffer, our family to suffer, and our family to sink. So how? How do we keep our family afloat like Noah did in the midst of the chaos? What do we do? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down, I want to point out three things to you this morning that will really help you keep your family afloat. The first thing, if you're taking notes, you want to write it down. Here it is. If you want to keep your family afloat, you need to get near God. You need to get near God. Again, what does the Bible say was happening in the culture and in society during the time of Noah? They were evil. They were evil. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 one more time, though. The Bible says that Noah, however, found favor in the sight of God. He found favor in the sight of God. How did this happen? To really understand what's going on here, you need to understand a very deep theological concept of Chuck Norris-isms. How many of y'all have ever heard of Chuck Norris? Anybody heard of Chuck Norris? Yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger, right? In the eyes of a ranger, the unsuspected stranger. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just me? Man, Chuck Norris is bad. Y'all should know who that guy is. Y'all really, so here's some couple facts about Chuck Norris that you probably ought to know. First one is this, uh, Chuck Norris actually built the hospital that he was born in. Usually, in a society that is dominated by evil, you have three choices. The first thing that you can do, your first, your first choice is to hide. You can hide and just hide from everything evil that's going on. Well, Noah didn't do that. The second choice that you have is that you can become more violent than the society than, that, that is around you. You've heard the old saying, kill or what? Be killed, right? Well, Noah didn't do that either. So, you know, you can hide, you can become more evil than the society around you, or you can, you can find the biggest, baddest, strongest person to protect you. You know what I mean? You can, you can find someone like Chuck Norris to handle your business. That's what you can do. Well, that's what Noah did. Noah found God. Noah leaned in to God. He got near to God. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Again, what you need to know there is that Noah did not find significance with his culture, with his society. He said, I am going to be different. And what does the Bible say? It says that Noah walked with God. Do you know today that you can walk with God? 
Do you know that you can actually walk with God? Some people don't believe that. They think there's no way that I can walk with God. I've done too much wrong. I've, I've, I've got too much baggage. You know what I'm saying? I've got, I've got too many things that are wrong with me. I can't walk with God. Other people can walk with God, but not me. But I'm here to tell you today that you can walk with God. Not only can you walk with God, but, but Noah figured out something that you and I desperately need to figure out. And that is this, that Noah figured out he was favored by God. Did you know that you are favored by God? Did you know that you are favored? God favors you. You are not too flawed. You don't have too much baggage. You are not too damaged. You are loved above all by the creator of all. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus came to remove every obstacle that could keep you from following him, that could keep you from drawing close to God because God did everything in his power to make it to where we can be with him for eternity. God prefers you. He prefers me. He prefers us. Noah walked with God, and you know what happened? It resulted in him and his family being saved. How many of you got kids? A little attention test, make sure you're still with me. You should know, you know what I'm saying? We say that all the time. Uh, but if you've got kids, don't you want the best for their life? Don't you? I mean, unless you're holding grudges with them, you know what I mean? For throwing up on you when they were little, you know, pooping on you and peeing on you and not letting you get a good night's sleep, especially when you got to preach the next day at church. You know, you want the best for them, right? Unless you're holding a grudge. Unless you're, unless you're holding a grudge, you really do. You want the best for them. Well, think about the other people who were alive during Noah's time. Other parents. Other parents who were not walking with God who were not drawing near to God, like Noah. What happened to them? They perished. They died. And I wonder if in the midst of all the chaos, if some of those kids didn't look to their parents and say, why? why did, did they look at their mom and dad and say, why didn't you listen to Noah? Why didn't you try to get near to God? Why didn't you try to get us near to God? I wonder if they didn't say things like that as they were drowning. See, parents, our walk with God or lack thereof is going to affect our kids. You need to understand that. I was talking to someone just a few weeks ago whose teenagers making so many bad choices. They're just heading down a devastating path, and they're like, hey, man, do you think that the church can help? And I said, well, yes, the church wants to help, but in my mind, I thought, you should have had your family in church from the beginning. You should have been pursuing a relationship with Christ from the beginning. Instead of being absent, instead of being in the woods, instead of letting your son do everything he wanted to. You should have been trying to do something. I, I just want you to understand again, Noah's faith kept him and his family from sinking in the midst of the flood. And parents, you need to know today that your faith can do the same thing for you and your family. It really can. So if you really want to keep your family afloat, the first thing you need to do is you need to get near to God. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you want to write it down, here it is. You need to do what God says. You need to do what God says. Now, these aren't deep things. They're easy things. Do what God says. Has someone ever told you something, and when they told you something, you were like, I, I just can't believe that? Anybody? You know, I just can't. I can't believe that. I, I like Taco Bell. Uh, man, I don't know if y'all know it or not, but they got these uh, 
chicken mini quesadillas, and they got this new potato burrito. It's so good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Praise God, glory. It's good. You know what I'm saying? It's good stuff. And so a couple weeks ago, I went down to the Taco Bell, and I went up to the, the register, and the lady that was behind the counter, she didn't say anything to me, but she looked at me, and so I just assumed that meant place your order. And so I was like, hey, you know I got to get some of them chicken, mini chicken quesadillas. And she just looked at me and said, we're out of chicken. I said, good plan. I really need them chicken quesadillas. You know what I'm saying? She said, we're out of chicken. I said, what? I said, man, you've done, my heart is broken. My heart is hurt. And she just looked at me. I said, okay, well, let me get uh, the potato burrito. Let me get that. And she says, we're out of flour tortillas. I thought, what? You're out of flour tortillas? I said, are you kidding? I really thought I was like on an episode of Punk. You know what I'm saying? And somebody's going to come around and like, ha we got you. But that didn't happen. It didn't happen. And so I'm sitting here like, I said, look. I said, you ain't got chicken. You don't have flour tortillas. Why are y'all still open? You know? I mean, this is Taco Bell. She said, you can get a crunchy taco. I said, I don't want no crunchy taco. Those are nasty. I just walked out and went to Whataburger. You know what I'm saying? But I couldn't believe anything she was saying. I just couldn't believe her out of chicken and tortillas, man. That's wild. Well, during Noah's time, again, the world is evil. Remember, every thought of man is evil, but Noah finds favor with God. Not only does Noah find favor with God, but Noah, uh, God, God tells Noah something. I want you to see what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along, uh, along with the earth. Now, I want you to think about this. God tells Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. Come on, man. How many of y'all, that'd be a hard pill to swallow. You know what I'm saying? For real, God, you know you ain't going to do that. You're not going to do that. Not only does, does God tell Noah he's going to destroy the earth, but then the way that he tells Noah he's going to destroy this earth was had, had to have been hard to believe. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 17. The Bible says this. Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will die. Everything on earth will die. Flood waters, rain, like water falling from the sky. I mean, this had to have been hard to believe because some people believe that it actually had never rained before up, up to this point. And the reason why they say that is because of what Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 says. Check this out. The Bible says, No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land. No plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, but water would come up of the ground and water the entire surface of the land. So, just hypothetically, if it had never rained before and God tells Noah, look, I'm going to destroy the earth. Noah's like, yeah, how are you going to do it? I'm going to make all this water fall out of the sky. Noah would be like, well, that's impossible. Right? I mean, that'd be kind of hard to believe. Like if somebody told you tomorrow, it's literally going to rain cats and dogs. You wouldn't go to Tractor Supply or Walmart and get a whole bunch of dog food and cat food, would you? You'd look at that person, you'd say, stop smoking crack, don't do drugs, it's bad. Okay? That's what you would say. But Noah doesn't look at God and say any of that. Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 16 says this. God says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 
75 feet wide and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark, make it with a lower, middle, and upper deck. So God goes on to tell Noah, hey, go collect all the animals. He goes on to say, go and collect every kind of food, bring them to earth, and I want, bring them to the ark. And I want you to see what Genesis chapter 6, verse 22 says. It says, and Noah did this. He did everything God had commanded him to do. What? Noah did everything God commanded him? You, you, know what, you know what's interesting to me about this passage is that we don't see Noah trying to negotiate with God. We don't. I mean, come on, God, you want me to build this boat, 450 feet, you know, long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I can do that. It needs a roof, needs upper, middle, lower deck, you know, it needs a window. I, I, can, do, I can do all of that, but gopher wood, I mean, come on, that's kind of hard to come by. Home Depot stopped selling it last year. Uh, I mean, is it okay if I use pine? I got a load of pine over here at my house already, God. Can I use that? We don't see Noah saying, hey, really, God, you just want me to build a box. Can I add some curve and some design? and really make this a luxury yacht. I don't, I don't want to be on a box. I want to be on a yacht. It needs a hot tub, a Taco Bell. You know what I'm saying? It needs all these nice things. And can I make myself a nice bedroom with a balcony? You know, my wife, she's been telling me we need to go on some nice vacation. I could kill two birds with one stone here. You know what I mean, God? Can, can I do all this? You don't see Noah doing any of that. You don't. Noah doesn't say, I'll go with your plan, but let me make some changes to it. But don't we do that a lot of times? Don't we say, God, I'll do what you want me to do, but let me tweak it a little bit. God, I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to come to church uh, as long as it's not hunting season, as long as it's not football season, as long as it's not summer season, as long as it's, I'll be there on Easter, God. That's what I'm going to do. I'll be there on Easter. You know what I'm saying? That's what we say. God, I'll put you first, but I'm going to hang on to my money, and I'm not going to be generous. God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to, I'm going to really spend a lot of time with you. I'm going to read my Bible every day unless I'm tired or unless I've got something else to do, unless I've got to get up early. As long as it's convenient, God, I'll do what you tell me to do. I mean, that's how we talk to God. That's how we talk to God. But look at verse 22 again of Genesis chapter 6. It says, and Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. He did everything that God commanded him. How often in your life could you replace Noah's name with your name? How often could I say, and Robert did, everything God commanded him? How often could you say, and you did everything God commanded you? Folks, Noah didn't even build a lifeboat to, to come up with a plan B. He said, you know what, God, we're going with your plan. He did everything God commanded him. James chapter one, verses 21 through 22 says this, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. God expects us to do what he says. Had Noah started making all these changes to God's plan, do you know what would have happened to him and his family? They would have perished along with everybody else. The consequences would have been terrible. I wonder. I wonder if some of the bad things that happen in our families 
are the result of us simply not doing what God said to do. Noah was able to keep his family afloat because he got near to God, because he did what God says. And so if you want to keep your family afloat, you need to get near God. You need to do what God says. And the third thing, you take a note, you want to write it down. Here it is. It's going to be fun. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. That's the third thing. Don't get drunk. See, if you know the story of the flood, you know that Noah and his family, they're saved from the flood. And if you kind of fast forward to Genesis chapter nine, verse one, the Bible says, God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And if that was the last thing that you read, you would assume that they just live happily ever after. But that's not what happens because if you keep reading, what you're going to see is that Noah gets drunk and he's naked. So can we all just admit that this is awkward? I mean, a drunk old man being naked, that's awkward, right? If that's, if that's not awkward for you, I don't know what's going on in your life. I mean, this is weird, okay? This is weird. And so let's read this story and then let's talk about it. Check this out. Genesis chapter 9 verses 18 through 23 says this, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were Noah's sons, and from the whole earth was populated. Now watch this, verse 20. It says, Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. What kind of man was Noah? Man of the soil, right? He was not a boat builder. He was a man of the soil, which is really just a side sermon here that God interrupts our lives sometimes. Sometimes God is gonna call you to do something that you're not really used to, that you're not familiar with. He has a way of interrupting us. So Noah was a man of the soil. The flood waters they recede. The flood waters they go down. Things go back to normal. And Noah's able to get back to what he likes to do, and that is farm. He's a farmer. He begins to plant things. And so watch what happens. He plants a vineyard. Verse 21, and he drank some of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Now let me, let me stop again. How long does it take for, you know, a vine, a grapevine to produce grapes? Anybody know? I'm a, you know, I'm a connoisseur here. How many of you know? I, actually, I just went to Google. Google told me three years. Three years. Three years. So, okay, three years to, to get enough grapes uh, on your vine. Then, then I wonder how long it would take to actually get enough grapes to make wine. You know what I mean? This would take a while to do as well. Then how long would it take for those grapes to, to ferment? How long did this process take? It took years. It took, it took years. And so finally, the day comes when the wine is ready. And Noah's like, ooh, it's ready. I'm just going to get one sip, one taste. And so he drinks, but he doesn't stop there. And he drinks, and he drinks, and he drinks, and he drinks, and he becomes drunk. Too, he's just taking his clothes off, naked drunk. You know, anybody seen anybody like that? You know what I mean? He, he is tore up from the floor up. That's what's happening here. And so why in the world does Noah do this? Why does he, why does he turn to this alcohol? Maybe he turned to wine because he was tired. Maybe he turned to wine because, I mean, he had literally seen the earth destroyed. And it was too much for him to take emotionally. Maybe it was because he had conflict in his family. I mean, you're going to find out in just a minute that his brothers don't really get along. Why, 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 did, why did Noah turn to, to alcohol? Well, the Bible doesn't, Bible doesn't tell us why Noah stumbled, and that's really not an important question. The important question that you and I need to ask ourselves is, why do we stumble? Why do we stumble? Why do we 
turn to alcohol and say, I'll just have one more drink. Now, let me stop. The Bible does not the Bible does not teach against adults having a glass of alcohol, okay? It doesn't. I think the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus drank alcohol. Don't be more holier than Jesus, okay? He's the man that you're supposed to look to, okay? This is really an awkward uh, conversation, but bear with me because I, I promise you it's going somewhere. But I do believe that the alcohol that they had in Jesus' day and in Noah's day was much different than the alcohol that we have today, okay? So think about Noah. Noah has to plant vines. He's got to harvest grapes. He's got to make his own wine. Noah, Noah didn't have a chance, really didn't have the chance to become an alcoholic because it would take too long. You know what I mean? It just required too much, it just required too much work. But you and I, man, we can stop at the gas station and you can get a 24-pack. You can go to Kroger and you can fill your buggy up and use your Kroger card and get a discount. You know what I'm saying? It's the, the what what is accessible to us today is so much more and it's so much stronger than what they had back in the Bible days that I'm just saying that you you and, you and I, in wisdom and maturity, we just need to be careful. Parents, listen to me. When your kids see you drink, they will either see you doing something in moderation and discipline and maturity, or they're going to see it as a license to let go. That's what's going to happen. So why do we turn to alcohol? Why do we use it to self Medicate, is it because stress is such a big part of our life? Listen to me again. The way that your kids see you approach this, they're going to take it to a whole nother level in their own life. They are going to see what you turn to for relief, but your kids will also see what you don't turn to for relief. See, the Bible teaches that the best medication out there really is worship, really is getting near to God. And I can promise you that the hangover, I can promise you that the hangover from being in God's presence is so much better than a hangover drinking alcohol and wine. I promise you that. And so maybe instead of turning to alcohol when we are stressed, we need to turn to a worship CD and just be in God's presence. Let our kids see us seeking God, just spend time with Jesus. What would happen if our kids saw that? See, whatever your conviction is on alcohol, here is, this whole story is not about alcohol. Whatever your conviction is on alcohol, I just want you to see that if Noah, a man who walked with God, a righteous man, if he can stumble, any of us can stumble. Every one of us, we are vulnerable to the sin of excess. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. You say, well, I don't struggle with alcohol. Praise God. But maybe you're always turning to social media and you spend hours and hours and hours. You're addicted. You're drunk on social media. Maybe, maybe you're always on Netflix. You know what I'm saying? And so you just let the world pass you by and you just got to watch every episode of this show. You spend hours and hours. You're drunk on Netflix. Maybe, maybe you're always angry. Maybe when you, you just turn to shopping just to, try to, just to try to make you feel better about life, what is it that you turn to that you are basically drunk with that you just can't get enough of? Because the only thing that you and I need to be drunk with is God's goodness and God's grace. That's what we need in excess in our life. It's none of those other things. 
What is it that your kids and other people see you turning to? Because watch this. Story's about to get weird. Look at, look at verse 22. The Bible says, Ham, the father of Canaan. Everybody say Canaan. Canaan becomes the father of the Canaanites. Watch this. He's the father of those guys, guys who really cause a lot of problems for the Israelites a little later on. But watch this. Ham saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Now, uh, I want you to know that some people do believe that at this point, uh, Ham did some unspeakable things to his father. And maybe, uh, I certainly wasn't there, wouldn't want to be there. Uh, But check this out. Verse 23 says this. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both of their shoulders, and walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not, they did not see their father naked. So what happened here? See, I'm wrapping up. But maybe, maybe one night, Sham, Ham, and Japheth were sitting around the fire. Maybe they were just sitting there around the fire, thinking about everything that had happened, and here comes... Noah, naked, walking in front of him, just stumbling everywhere, just drunk. And the Bible doesn't indicate that at this point, Shem, Ham, or Japheth were followers of Yahweh. The Bible doesn't indicate that these individuals were followers of God. Noah walked with God, but the scripture doesn't say that his children did the same thing. So Noah walks by staggering, he's naked, and maybe Ham, who he had seen Noah preach about God. Maybe Ham, who had always heard Noah say, look, son, you need to give your life to God. You need to give your life to the things of God. You need to follow him. You need to trust him. Maybe Ham, who had seen his father do those things, say those things, he looks at his father, drunk and naked. And so he looks at his brothers and he says, look at that hypocrite. Look at him, he's drunk. He's naked. He's acting just like the world that was before the world was destroyed. He's acting just like everybody else. And he's always told us to be different. Look at him. Now, again, I don't know if it happened that way. But maybe. Because doesn't that happen today? So many people who claim to follow Christ, they they just don't really try to get near to God. They just don't really do what God says. And they turn to so many other things in excess for just temporary highs. It's not just drugs and alcohol, all sorts of things. Ham saw his father turn to the wrong thing. And you know what? Here's what I want you to see. It affected Ham and his descendants. It affected Ham and the rest of his descendants How do your kids see you? How does your family see you? Do they see you telling them one thing but practicing another? Because I'm telling you, if you want to keep your family afloat, you need to get near God. If you want to keep them from sinking in a world full of chaos, you need to get near to God. You need to obey his word and you need to let them see you. Turn to God with everything that you've got. That's how you keep your family afloat. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I wonder today if you're here and you would just acknowledge, you know what, I hadn't been being the example I need to be for my family. 
I've not been getting near to God. I've not been doing what God says. I've just been turning to all sorts of other things but God to make me happy. If that's you today and you'd say, hey, you know what? I need to repent of that. I'm just going to ask right where you are that you lift your hand. I don't want to do anything embarrassing. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for moving, God. Thank you for speaking. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for these who have raised their hand. Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us truly decide in our heart and in our life that we're going to do these things. Help us do everything, whatever it takes to seek you with all of our heart, to get near to you. Father, and I also ask that you would help us to do what your word says. Help us, Father, to seek you. I wonder today, too, if there's anybody here, anybody here who maybe God is telling you today, this is a wake-up call. It's time for you to give your heart and your life to him. It's time for you to walk with God, to give him your heart. If that's you today, you know you need to be saved. I'm going to ask that right where you are that you lift your hand because I want to pray for you. You want to give your heart to him. You want to surrender to him. If that's you, I'm just going to ask right where you are that you, you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Father, help me to trust you, to live for you. Thank you for dying on Calvary's cross on my behalf. I confess you today as Lord, as Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can be who you've called me to be. Help me to realize my faith has the ability to influence others. Help me, Father, to live for you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.